Hello and welcome to Free America. I'm your host, Nick Yaya, and this is the Free America Podcast. Today is Sunday, June 19th. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Happy Father's Day to my father. And uh, here in the United States is the day we sell, we celebrate Father's Day and for our other listeners in other parts of the world. And so it's a very special day for us, usually the, well, always the third Thursday in the month of June when we recognize fathers and all they do to contribute to our lives. Fathers are very important. And so we like to recognize them for the work that they do and, and for raising us and for helping to make us good human beings. And so thank you to all the fathers out there and happy Father's Day. Okay, so today we've got a very important guest, someone who I really think you're going to enjoy hearing from. It's a gentleman named Ryan Heath, and he's an attorney in the state of Arizona who has partnered together with some attorneys here in the state of California to form a nonprofit organization called the Gavel Project. Now, what the Gavel Project is doing is they're going after the schools and the administrators and the teachers and all these people that have been torturing children here in the state of California for the past two years over these damn mask mandates. All right. Now, and, and that it, it involves a number of things, which we'll get into. But, you know, some of the things would involve, um, you know, humiliating the children in front of their peers, having them sit in the corner of a classroom behind a plexiglass wall, um, making them sit outside in freezing temperatures without proper cover with a coat or anything like that. So we'll get into all that with him and what they're, uh, what they're doing about it, some of the legal uh, maneuvers that are taking place, the lawsuits, et cetera. So um, I'm really excited to have him on the show because I know like a lot of us out there, including myself, um, you know, I, I've been asking who's, where are the people that are doing something about this, right? Where are the lawyers why aren't they stepping up? Why aren't they doing something? So, uh, you know, I took it upon myself to file my own lawsuits because I, I just couldn't find lawyers um, to represent me for one reason or another. Perhaps it just wasn't enough money in it for them. I don't know. Um, but uh, but I'm, I'm so excited to hear that people like Ryan are out there and doing what they're doing. So, again, I think you're really going to enjoy having him on the show with us today, as, as I know I am. So anyway, as always, before we get started, I'd like to jump into a little bit of news. But before we do that, I always like to encourage you to visit our website, the Free America Podcast website. That's freeamericapodcast.com, where you can find this episode as well as other episodes. Now, these all link to the audio versions of the podcast, which are great to share. They're great to take with you on the road. We have links to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and others. Um, but you can also link to the video versions up here along the top row. You'll see there's a link to videos. And if you just click on that, you can go to either our Rumble or our BitChute page where you can find this episode as well as others. And I encourage you to share those with your friends and family. Put them on social media. Free, free, free feel, feel free rather to share them wherever you like. So if you want to put them on Facebook or Twitter or, or any other social media platform, please feel free to do that and share it without worrying about copyright infringement or anything like that. Okay. And so, and also if you like what we do here at the free America podcast, please consider supporting us. And one way to do that is by going to covidsmostwanted.com. And that's a, a, a brand new deck of playing cards I come up with uh, that I've come up with. And these are essentially, it's a, it's a regular deck of cards, you know, with your aces, Kings, Queens, Jacks, you know, spades, diamonds, clubs, and hearts. And except on each of the faces of the cards, you've got 
uh, one of the different COVID criminals. So here we have uh, Anthony Fauci. He's our ace of diamonds. And <laughs> as you see here, we had a little nickname beneath him is Psychopath. So we've got Klaus Schwab and Xi Jinping, all the, all the people that have been affiliated with this COVID crisis, uh, this COVID scam in some form or another, all listed here. So you've got your CEOs of all the pharmaceutical companies, et cetera, and many, many more. And of course, don't forget about Bill Gates, our ace of spades. All right. Uh, you can do that. You can go down to the store here. It'll take you this little link right here. We'll, we'll, you, if you click on that, it'll take you right to our Etsy store where you can buy them. Uh, price is at $24.95. But if you use the promo code podcast, we'll give you a 20% discount. So that makes it around $20. And that comes with free shipping anywhere in the U.S., anywhere in the continental U.S. Uh, actually, no, we'll even throw in Hawaii and Alaska as well. So anywhere in the United States, you want to get these cards, just go to covidsmostwanted.com, enter promo code podcast for that 20% discount. And along with that, here at the website, you get all the evidence from uh, um, surrounding what these people have done. Um, so you click on any one of these images and and it will, it will uh, if you click on read more here, it'll tell you more about what he did. This is Anthony Fauci, what he did, who he worked with, where it happened, and the crimes that he's been accused of, genocide, homicide, fraud, racketeering, and treason. So uh, go to covidsmostwanted.com and check those out for yourself. Pick up a pack, they make great gifts. Um, stock up for now for Christmas, make some good Christmas gifts. Okay, moving on to our news. Uh, scary news here out of the US, they're always coming after our guns, but in this latest proposal from the Democrats, they want to add a 1,000% tax on manufacturers and importers of what they call assault weapons. These are commonly more referred to as rifles, okay? But they call them assault weapons because they're scary. They're scary looking guns. And so we have to name them things that scare people. So they want to add a 1,000% tax. The funny thing is, though, at the end of the article here, it shows you that uh, the policy would not apply to ammunition. It allows for exemptions for local, state, and federal governments, including police forces and law enforcement. Oh, of course. Right. So the government would be exempt, but you would have to pay a thousand percent. So only the wealthy and the government will be able to defend themselves should they should the need arise or defend themselves against a tyrannical uh, government. Right. So the government needs to defend itself against a tyrannical government. Yeah, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, in related news, the IRS is once again buying up hundreds of thousands of dollars in ammo. Why is this, right? So here they are on the one hand trying to take away the guns. Now they're also trying to deplete the supply of ammunition in circulation by buying it up, right? So making it harder for you to get your hands on the ammo. So the government is very obviously making moves to make it difficult for you to arm and defend yourself. And I think, uh, like many other people, that uh, they're becoming increasingly tyrannical and are showing it and, are, and aren't afraid of showing it because uh, they think they have the upper hand. Well, uh, they need to go back and read the Second Amendment and what that is uh, there for. It's not just there for the people's right to defend themselves um, as, as is a, a God-given right, but it is also there to stand up against a tyrannical government. And I believe uh, that is what we're faced with right now. I mean, gosh, look at what they're doing in Canada and those poor people uh, turning it into uh, practically into China. Anyway, scary stuff, folks. Okay, moving on. 
this is something, uh, this is over a GOP election worker who was arrested for not wearing a face mask during a training session at the former TCF center in Detroit. Now, this is the place where they kicked out election workers, uh, all Republican election, election workers who were observers or who were working it. Uh, and they were finding, this is during the 2020 election, they were finding just any reason they could to, to have these people escorted out so they could get away with stealing the election. Well, here we go again. Uh, even at the center right now, that does not require masks. Um, people had, election workers had this man arrested for not wearing a face mask. And it's it's ridiculous. I won't go into the whole article here, but when the officers arrived, um, they they were making some very strange statements to the man. They they were manipulating him, um, you know, saying, "Why are you refusing to wear a mask? Do you have a specific reason?" No, he doesn't need a reason to wear a mask or to not wear a mask. And and as you'll notice in this photo here, the police themselves are not wearing masks. So this is absurd. This is asinine. This is this is more election meddling that's going on in Democrat-run cities like Detroit. You know, I, I here in, in Los Angeles, I tried to um, sign up to be a, a poll observer, an election observer, and was asked if I was vaccinated, if I had proof of vaccination. If I claimed no, then uh, that was it. I was not allowed to observe, which is against the law. They, they cannot prevent you from observing an election simply because you refuse to take an experimental drug. So um, perhaps this will be our next lawsuit. Okay, moving on. Doctors are suing the FDA over ivermectin. This is great news, folks. Um, finally, the doctors are fighting back against the FDA to stop them from meddling with their prescriptions of ivermectin with their own patients. The FDA, this is an FDA-approved drug. It's been around for decades as a high safety profile and it's, it, it's an award-winning drug. It, it, it won the Pulitzer prize and not the Pulitzer prize, excuse me, the Nobel prize. Yeah, no, sorry. They're not writers. Um, they won the Nobel prize. It won the Nobel prize and the FDA stepped in and said, no, you can't use this. Well, it doesn't make any sense, right? They, they, they didn't give any reason other than the fact that we all know that they wouldn't allow it to be used because it, uh, well, it interferes with their ability to authorize the emergency use of these COVID vaccines, right? So if there's a therapy or, or a therapeutic or a treatment that could treat COVID, uh, they wouldn't be able to authorize the emergency use of the COVID vaccines. So it's exactly what is happening. But now, finally, doctors are coming around and partnering together with attorneys to sue the FDA to to be able to use COVID, uh, excuse me, ivermectin to treat COVID-19. So that's great news. Um, another good news here, uh, court rules for the first time that an insured business can seek damages over COVID-19 shutdown losses. So a lot of insurance companies were denying claims from these businesses saying that, well, it's it's outside of the policy. Um, doesn't The policy doesn't cover these sorts of things, but the court ruled that no, um, damages did occur, even though they might not be visible since the restaurant had to reduce its space, uh, you know, space out the tables and chairs a little bit more. Um, so their volume went down, uh, the, you know, the, the, the amount of business that they could do went down, the shutdowns, um, cost them money. And so they're going after the insurance companies, um, which is, which is good news. You know, they, they do have the right to recover damages. And I think the insurance companies in turn should uh, hold the governments accountable for doing that. So uh, ultimately, it, as always, it will be us that pays in the end. 
uh, whether it's through increased insurance premiums or higher taxes to pay for all the damages that our government did to these businesses. So sad all the way around, but good news for these businesses who were completely decimated due to these um, unscientific shutdowns. They, they actually did absolutely nothing to stop the spread of COVID-19, as we now know, and as we alleged, uh, or alleged, rather, um, early on in this pandemic, as many scientists and doctors did. All right. Scary news out of China here. They're using the vaccine passport to stop people from protesting. This is this is scary. Uh, this is out of Reuters. China bank protests stopped by health codes turning red, depositors say. And so they they froze um, uh, people's bank. They're, they're having a, an issue with banks over there. They froze people's accounts. And um, hundreds of people across China, um, well, it says hundreds here. I want to guess it's probably more like thousands. Uh, well, at, they prevented them from accessing at least $178 million of deposits, which left companies unable to pay workers, individuals unable to access savings, etc. So probably more like hundreds of thousands of people were denied access to their money, and they planned a protest. Well, to stop that, China turned their vaccine passports red, indicating that they aren't allowed to travel. So this is what is in store, folks. If we allow the New World Order and the World Health Organization and the World Economic Forum and all these globalists to get their way and get these vaccine passports in place, this is exactly what we will be faced with in the future. Whereas they can just turn off your ability to travel at a whim. Um, and you won't be able to go and protest. You won't be able to do anything if the government says so. So fight like hell to make sure that these vaccine passports and these digital IDs and all of this crap does not go into place. Make sure it doesn't. All right. Do whatever you have to do. Okay, moving on. After years of denials, a report indicates that the head of the World Health Organization quietly believes COVID-19 came from a lab in Wuhan, China. Well, well, well. Uh, a little bit late to admit it, but it's nice that they finally did admit it. Um, this is the head of the World Health Organization, uh, Tedros Adhanom, uh, Gaibriasis, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. And he uh, finally came around to admit that, well, yeah, it's um, quite possible that the virus came from a lab in Wuhan. So it looks like uh, the, the official narrative is beginning to crumble. Uh, perhaps these people think that, well, we're out of the woods and on to other issues, and so maybe we won't hold them accountable. Uh, no, sorry, Tedros and people of the World Health Organization, we are holding you accountable. In fact, you are in the deck of cards in COVID's Most Wanted. He's in there, um, and along with the crimes that he committed. So uh, it's nice to finally see them actually turning on each other, and perhaps this whole house of cards will come crumbling down soon. Uh, in other international news, we have Canada, who has now made it <laughs> uh, compulsory to get three jabs to be considered fully vaccinated. So two doses doesn't work anymore. So all those people in Canada who got their two doses, who complied, and who could travel freely throughout the country and out of the country if they wished, are no longer able to do so, according to the government. They need to get another jab. So hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. All right. Um, and then scary news here out of the FDA. These last couple of stories kind of revolve around the same thing. 
FDA advisors unanimously recommend Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine for ages 16 to 17, despite data showing high risks of heart inflammation. Um, in, an, in, a, in a related article from Reuters, it says basically the same thing, except it downplays the risk to children. So this is the you know, the Gateway Pundit version versus the Reuters version. So I left these both up here for you to review and compare to see how they manipulate information, how some people in the population have no idea what's going on because they're listening to this dribble fed to them by, by news outlets like Reuters. Um, and, and then you can see uh, another article here from uh, Yahoo Finance says that uh, Pfizer Moderna COVID-19 vaccines recommended for kids five and younger. Again, a very upbeat and positive article about the FDA, uh, well, the FDA panel approving these jabs for kids five and younger, even though there is no efficacy, even Fauci just admitted that, well, we have no idea uh, that it, it does anything but yet they're still recommending it, even in the face of other data showing that um, it's actually harming people. It's harming children, right? So they're attacking our children. They're trying to reduce the population in that regard. They're killing off adults. They're killing off elderly. And now in this next article, as you'll see, uh, turns out the vaccine reduces sperm count in men. Um, so it's also, it's causing spontaneous abortions, women to lose their their uh, babies, um, it's causing irregular uh, menstruation cycles, it's now causing sperm counts to drop. So this is a, a biological attack against against humanity. This is a this is a genocide weapon. This is a biological genocide weapon. And uh, I don't know how much more that we should put up with at this point because now they're attacking our children. So uh, I'll leave this article up there for your review. And finally here, <laughs> I, I just had someone experience this today. The new Biden regulations are putting American travelers at risk and forcing thousands of flights to be canceled. Yeah, a friend of mine uh, just got stuck in Atlanta for an extra day trying to fly home from Florida because uh, her flight was canceled due to quote unquote weather, right? But uh, no, the real reason is, is now... Um, the Biden administration is forcing air traffic controllers to wear masks. Um, and it's it, it, that those had, had haven't had the vaccine. So this is just another way to punish people who have, who haven't complied with the illegal government mandate to take an experimental drug as a condition of employment. I, I, I cannot repeat that enough. So sad news for these, uh, United States of America. And the sooner we get Biden and his ilk out of the White House, the better we will be. Ah, okay, well, that ran a little longer than I had hoped. But um, moving on to our guest today, um, his name is Ryan Heath. Again, he's with the Gavel Project. As I mentioned, these people are doing God's work. They are literally taking on these monsters that have been harassing and and torturing our children for the past couple of years over these mask mandates and and uh, now even uh, some of the vaccine mandates. So uh, I'm very happy to have him on the show. Super excited to see that someone is standing up. So uh, without further ado, please join me in welcoming to the show, Ryan Heath. Hey, Ryan, how you doing? Hey, Nick, thank you for having me. And the news was was fascinating. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I try to give people a little bit of... Um, 
you know, a little bit of information, stuff they might not hear normally. Uh, you know, the mainstream media only covers certain things. And so I, I like to try to dig in a little bit deeper and give people tools that they can use with, you know, to, to share information with their friends and family. Because it's, it's really, I think, an informed populace that is going to be uh, the most effective at fighting back against this tyranny. Yeah, and, and I love the playing cards, too. I think maybe you should uh, do a spinoff with a dictionary as well. Put some, uh, may, maybe Gavin Newsom can be next to the picture of duplicitous or, or something <laughs> like that. You know? just, just throwing it out there. Yes, that's great. I love it. I love it. Yes, the, the, the COVID's dictionary. Yes, very, very, very funny. Yeah, he's in the deck, by the way. He, he's in there. He's a uh, uh, Californian psycho is what, I, is what his, his nickname is, and he certainly is. Uh, Fair a, enough. Yeah, he's psycho. But uh, so, so tell us a little bit about the Gavel Project. Uh, what are you doing? What's it about? Uh, you know, what gave you the idea to start it? Um, yeah, just just fill us in. Yeah, so just to start, I am a, I'm an attorney uh, licensed in the state of Arizona. I'm not licensed in California, but uh, I am someone who cares very deeply about a, a number of things. First and foremost, being the Constitution, and and, and secondly, um, children. I'm I'm a father of two beautiful little girls. And uh, being a, a younger attorney uh, with, a, with a wonderful wife, with the capacity to uh, take a risk, I, I decided back in October when I heard that Gavin Newsom was going to be requiring uh, the vaccination for children to attend school in California, basically saying that if you want to get an education and get a high school diploma, which is just a basic ticket to even participate in American society, uh, you have to nationalize your body to the state. You have to sign over control of your personhood to the government uh, and your bodily autonomy to the government. And so as someone who cares very deeply about personal choice, uh, I decided to, to jump in and start the Gavel Project. And uh, we are taking on school districts. We are taking on uh, all sorts of, of, of uh, issues from, from different uh, free speech issues, uh, not only in California, but in other places as well. We'll be making some announcements here soon about that. Uh, but we're, we're, we're fighting the good fight and we're going after the regime that basically took advantage of children and punished people uh, for no reason for the past yeah. two years so that they could basically enrich themselves. Right. And, and I find that approach interesting that you're approaching it from a, a free speech, you know, a First Amendment. Uh, so it's very, you know, kind of a very fundamental argument. And and, and yeah. now how does that how does the fundamental, you know, First Amendment free speech argument relate to. Uh, masks or or vaccines? Yeah, well, basically, I had the idea early on, I, I recognized that what COVID theater was, and I think everyone understands when you say COVID theater, what that means, it means someone's mm -hmm. acting in a way to show that they are compliant with the narrative, they are on this team as opposed to that team. A lot of okay, the time, yeah. you can see that in someone's mask, uh, whether they are wearing a single mask, whether they are wearing any mask, uh, or multiple masks, perhaps. Uh, you, you are sending a clear message based on how you present yourself to the world. And so um, there, there's a, a line of cases, basically, that the Supreme Court has decided over you know, many years, basically stemming back to the 1960s, saying that students have particular constitutional rights when it comes to the classroom setting. And so long as, as you are protesting in a manner that isn't disruptive to the learning environment and and it doesn't violate the rights of other students, you actually have the right as a student to engage in, in free speech protests, including uh, protests like whether or not to, to wear an article of clothing. There was actually a Supreme Court case decided on this issue back in the 1960s. 
uh, basically, the, there were a number of students uh, in, in the, the Midwest that decided they did not want to wear, or excuse me, they wanted to wear black armbands to protest the Vietnam War. This was in the, the, the midst of that. And okay. uh, they were actually punished by the school because there was an ordinance passed by the school district saying they could not wear black armbands to protest the, the Vietnam War. And so those students were sent home. They filed a lawsuit under the Civil Rights Act. That's Title 42, Section 1983. Uh, the case made it all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said, look, um, these students have the right. They basically, I mean, I'm, I can quote, uh, students and teachers do not, uh, excuse me, students and teachers do not check their constitutional rights at the schoolhouse gate. That's what the Supreme Court said. And so you okay. as a student can protest. And basically, I, I realized this and I decided to go teach kids in California uh, about what their constitutional rights were and how to push back by protesting these mask mandates. And sure. uh, from that, we have lawsuits that we're going to be filing. And now, isn't isn't some of the pushback, though, from the, the school districts or the teachers going to be, well, these you know, these kids don't don't have a right to put other students at risk because they might get them sick. So. You know, because I've been facing that sort of thing in, in my lawsuits. You know, how have you been able to address that? Yeah. So the question comes down to the level of scrutiny that the court is going to be required to analyze the situation from. And so basically, the, the Supreme Court has these different tiers of what they call constitutional scrutiny for the way they analyze different lawsuits coming to them. And, and for free speech issues uh, in a school context, they, they apply what's called intermediate scrutiny. And so the question for the judge is going to be basically whether the school's uh, policy, their health policy was reasonable based on the circumstances surrounding the protest. Were they doing something that um, was any more burdensome? This is the, the question than essential yeah. uh, on the student's right to engage in the act of free speech, to, to engage in removing their mask and sitting in class and refusing to leave. Uh, if if the, the burden is any greater than necessary to accomplish that goal, this is the question, then it's an unconstitutional ordinance. The mask, the mask mandate uh, violates your rights because it's a one-size-fits-all solution to a problem. It doesn't take into account uh, that there are other ways the school could feasibly accomplish the same objectives. If, if the objective of the government with a mask mandate is to slow the spread of COVID-19 or to reduce hospitalizations and deaths, how about we uh, increase school funding for physical education in, in class? Uh, huh. Did you know that during the COVID shutdowns, the, the, the obesity rate for children ages something like 6 to 10 increased to 40%? Wow. That's because they st stuck these kids in front of computers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you you're obese in this nation or if you're overweight, you have a 78% uh, higher likelihood that you'll end up in the hospital. Right. And, and over 120% uh, increased likelihood that you'll end up in the ICU. Right. So there are other ways that, that are just common sense that we can accomplish this goals, which is why the government cannot succeed, in my mind, in demonstrating that basically the mask mandate was the, the least restrictive means or, or more, any less burdensome than, than necessary uh, for their objectives. And, and that's really the question. Yeah, you know, then that's a good point. I, I find it so not only counterintuitive, I mean, just counterintelligent for the 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 things that that our health departments were suggesting it it, it just see it it flies in the face of like common sense right mm -hmm. so such as you know get exercise eat healthy get vitamin d take mm -hmm. vitamin c 
you know, simple things that you can do to keep yourself healthy, yet they didn't recommend any of these things. They just said, stay locked in your home and, you know, wear a mask, you know, suffocate yourself, uh, essentially. That's, that's that, you know, that's our recommendation. I mean, wh- what has happened? I mean, I don't know if you can just answer your opinion, but what, what do you think has happened to, you know, our, our bureaucracies, our, you know, these people that we put in place to essentially keep us safe? Uh, they're, they're not doing that job very well, I think. Yeah, well, regulatory capture, I think, is That's what good. happened. Yeah. And um, I, I think that Big Pharma, if you read uh, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s book, who, who's just a, a brilliant man, um, uh, the real Anthony real Fauci, Anthony Fauci look yeah. into the background and the relationship between um, these organizations that run the government and uh, their their capacity not only to, to uh, exercise plenary control over these 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 drug and pharmaceutical agencies and these these health let's say uh, physicians the right. through the, the state bar, um, they basically have captured everything. And what's really I think people need to start focusing on as well is the judiciary. And I want to talk about that a little bit because there is a Cato Institute study that came out some t- a couple of years ago showing that the number of former government employees that now occupy the federal bench, that's the the federal judiciary, um, as opposed to people who just practice in private practice, was seven to one. The number was seven to one. So basically, if you're a a federal judge, your ruling on on cases where the government is involved, uh, where you are sitting across from someone who was on your team being the, the government attorney and someone who you've never had any experience with. And what's that res- what that has resulted in is the absolute degradation of our rights as citizens relative to the growth of the administrative state. The Supreme Court was a really great example up until very recently. Um, actually, up until the appointment of, of Justice Jackson, uh, the, I believe I said that correctly, excuse me if I'm wrong, um, but Thurgood Marshall passed away in 1992. He was the last Supreme Court justice to have any meaningful or actually any at all criminal defense experience prior to sitting on the Supreme Court. None hmm. of the other Supreme Court justices had ever represented a, um, a, a criminal defendant. They were all government attorneys. And so what's happened basically from the 1960s until now, even though we have had things like the Civil Rights Act in play and adopted to help combat the state, uh, you have had the absolute growth of the administrative state with a very little check coming on it from the judiciary. And um, hopefully if we can start educating people about this issue and start pushing our, 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 uh, our legislators to, to demand that we have more uh, balanced as far as, as uh, professional backgrounds on the bench, I believe that is a, a very important issue we need to start educating people about and pushing. Yeah, I, I when it, when you when you make that case, I, I would certainly agree. I mean, it's it seems very out of balance, and I mean a seven to one ratio. That's that's just I, I can't imagine. Um, but that's what it's that's what the judicial branch is supposed to be about. It's supposed to bring um, that balance, that order, and 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 have a very um, you know very um, non biased. Um, uh, makeup and approach, and and I think you're also very very right right on about the um, the regulatory capture that's taken place 
at, at all different levels of uh, any regulatory agency that oversees any industry has been infiltrated by people from within that industry. And I've noticed this at the FDA uh, years ago, I was doing some research and, and discovered this, you know, this revolving door between the FDA and big pharma and big agriculture. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I soon learned that, that they're not really there looking out for the interests of the American people anymore. They're looking out for the interests of those of those corporations, of those those companies that they're supposedly regulating. Mm-hmm. And so now we're seeing the that that the worst aspects of that play out and how things like where I was talking about um, earlier on ivermectin being being, uh, you know, the FDA stepping in and denying that doctors uh, be able to use ivermectin to treat their patients. I mean, it's unprecedented for the government to step in between the doctor patient relationship and and dictate what can and cannot be prescribed to treat or, or, or use as a therapeutic for a disease. Uh, you know, drugs are used off label all the time. Yet all of a sudden the government steps in and says, wait a minute, you can't use this one drug. Uh, in fact, you can't use any drugs. That that was their treatment protocol for people in hospital is to not use any drugs to uh, to send them home until they were so sick that they had to be come back and put on a ventilator, at which point uh, the only drug they were allowed to be given was remdesivir, which was another of Anthony Fauci's pet projects that uh, failed miserably on his first mm-hmm. go around in his tests in Africa as it killed many people. And yet here the FDA is uh, saying this is the only thing you can prescribe to treat COVID. And the only reason, I mean, the, you know, the, the, the elephant in the room here is that if you had a, a, a therapeutic that worked or something that you could treat COVID with, you couldn't uh, authorize the emergency use of these vaccines. And so, so there you have it right there, right? So the, the, it was, this, was, this whole dog and pony show was done so that the, the pharmaceutical manufacturers could roll out this new drug unimpeded by the FDA and by the government and mandate now that everybody take it. I mean, that's some scary, scary stuff to think of the health implications and how they're covering it up now and all the people that are dying and people being injured. And now they're targeting our kids, as I just covered as well in some of the news there. So, so uh, I mean, first of all, I mean, you can give us, you know, some of your thoughts on that, but w- what are you doing to, to help protect kids from this assault by big pharma and the government in the form of these vaccines? Yeah, well, I, I guess the, the first thing I want to do is I want to draw a connection for, for you between the, the COVID-19 um, regime, which is pushing these, these vaccines on our children and pushing these health mandates on us that, that are just antithetical to reason, and um, the uh, LGBTQ plus uh, moves at, at the same time. There's actually a, there's a lot of similarities in the way that these two groups operate. And they actually, um, if you think about what they're, they're trying to accomplish at the end of the day, it's the same outcome. It, it is more people who are hooked on pharmaceutical products for the rest of their lives. The, uh, if, if you put children on puberty blockers, mm-hmm. you permanently change the trajectory of their health outcomes, statistically speaking. They are going to require something for the rest of their lives. Right. And um, at the same time, over here, when you, when you put poison, actual poison, a, a, and literally this is a substance that codes for a cytotoxic spike protein that kills cells upon contact, that's what it does, by definition, um, you are creating 
permanent customers for the pharmaceutical interests. And yeah. you can actually see this at the school district level. If you go to these meetings, you see the same people advocating for these policies. A lot of times they're wearing, you know, two or three masks, again, expressing themselves to what team they're a part of. Yeah. Uh, and they, they have crazy hair colors and all these other uh, wacky things about them. And, and you can see, I mean, there, there is a, a um, concerted effort. There was recently a Cal Matters report that I, I referenced on my Instagram. I think everyone can go check it out there. The Gavel Project, I, I give some insights to it. Uh, but what we have basically is politicians across the state of California, for whatever reason, the same thing is happening with the environmentalists as well. Um, they, they are creating, they, they are creating stoking fear to create problems, to pass legislation so they can hand out large government contracts to local law firms and other nonprofit organizations. This actually happened um, in, in San Diego, clear as day. If you went to the San Diego County uh, uh, Board of Trustees meeting a few months ago, there was an ordinance passed based on the Charter to End All Discrimination Against Women, CEDAW. And this, this ordinance basically claimed that it was necessary to put this you know, huge uh, government project together to analyze all of the discrimination against women within the county, even though there were more women, like something like 60% of the county workers are actually female compared to male. Uh, they, they need to do, you know, spend all this money to look into this problem. Well, they, they destroyed the legal category of female they basically included transsexual men in that, that category. So there really is no need for this at all. And at the same time, they cited three statistics to support this. All of them were from 2019, so they're not even relevant. And they showed some minor, very cherry-picked discrepancies between men and women within the county. Uh -huh. And you know what? Those discrepancies are going to exist. And then we should do things to, to address those discrepancies regardless because we should look out for the interests of women. But what we shouldn't be doing is creating problems that do not exist, meaning you know, citing three pieces of evidence, having an actual uh, piece of evidence presented that is antithetical to your point, and pushing that forward as a justification to go and spend tens of millions of dollars of taxpayer money to go and, and create reports. They actually aren't even looking to solve any problems. They're looking to right. hand out contracts to right. do community needs assessments is what they call them. Uh, to assess issues in the community and write about it. That's all they're doing. And these are going out the window every two weeks. If you go to the LA County board meeting too, you'll see it. Oh. There'll be a seven and a half million dollar contract handed to some local law firm so that they can write some report for the city that does nothing. Right. That's what. That's where a lot of this um, money from Measure H has gone to. This is the measure that, that passed a few years ago here in California to help uh, address the homeless issue. And yes. what used to be, I think, $10 million from the state going to the city of Los Angeles is now $100 million, and they still haven't solved the problem. And it goes to line the pockets of these, you know, these consultants, right, or these, these law firms or people to write reports or do studies, you know, and, but nothing gets done. It's, mm -hmm. it's like they, they, they're fleecing the taxpayer to line the pockets of their own political interests and their friends and their, their colleagues. And we get nothing in return except um, more, more legislation that, that further restricts us in some form or fashion or further restricts a business. Right. So they, I'm sure mm -hmm. they would pass some law saying that, well, businesses are required to, you know, I think they did something recently where businesses were required to have 
um, a certain percentage, if not a 50% of women on the board of directors, right? In California, correct. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was actually, I, if, I, if I'm not, if I'm not correct, if I'm not, um, they might have repealed that, but it, because it was just placing this undue burden on, on the business to, well, we've got to go out and find these executive level female people to fill these positions on the board, even though it wasn't about finding the most qualified person or the person who's relevant for the job, uh, whose qualifications are relevant for the job, but uh, to find someone based on their, their sexual gender, right? Their, you know, their sexual identity. I guess you could say here in California, someone could identify as a female and fill the position on the board. Bill kind of of sounds transphobic unless it allows for the men on the board to just switch over immediately and be accepted as female. That would be transphobic. So I can't have that. That's probably why I got scratched. Right. It's almost like they're doing it to intentionally confuse people or to make things uh, difficult. It's almost seems like these, these, these trans, um, this, this whole trans agenda is actually anti-woman in a way. Right. Yeah. And, and as a father of two girls, um, I, I'm outraged. I really am. And, you know, I, I have nothing against transsexual people, um, transgender people. If you're mm-hmm. suffering from gender dysphoria, my heart goes out to you out there. Uh, that sounds like a really terrible thing to have uh, as yeah. an individual. But at the end of the day, what we are dealing with is, is monsters preying on children. And, uh, you know, to get into my background, probably a bit more than, than necessary. I was a, a troubled youth. I got into some, some issues when I was 17. Uh, I got arrested. Um, I was a, a pretty good athlete. I blew my knee out a bunch of times and ended up having multiple surgeries on my left knee uh, mm-hmm. through high school and uh, ended up having uh, an issue taking pain pills. Oh. I, I just didn't stop taking them after multiple surgeries within a, a two-year time frame. Sure. And, uh, you know, I went to a program where I, I was with a lot of people that would qualify or, or at least would be, um, they would be preyed upon in the modern world because they have a lot of the same personality traits, like let's say uh, anorexia or bulimia or all sorts of other um, mental disorders, suicide, you know, ideations, things like that, that happen to overlap mm-hmm. and actually be the, the target audience of these predators who, who are basically going out and profiting I mean, you can see it. The plastic surgeons in, in, in Los Angeles are, are the worst offenders. Uh, if you watch What is a Woman, the, the, one of the individuals in that film is an L.A. doctor who is literally just butchering children um, for, to put money in your pocket. And it's gross. I, I think it's a, it's a woman. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I really don't care. But that person is disgusting. But for yeah. cutting off the, 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 the perfectly healthy breasts of, of little girls before they even have the capacity to consent. Legally in America, if you sell a car to a 16-year-old, that 16-year-old in two years can turn around and bring the car back to you and say, hey, look, I don't want to do this deal right before their 18th birthday. And they can actually do that because they don't have the power to legally consent to that contract. That's, that's basic contract law. And so I, I don't understand why. And, and one of the things I want to get into is this issue. We, the Gavel Project is a nonprofit law firm. 
And we take cases across the nation, not just in California. We have other states as well that we work in. Great. And we're going after the bad guys. We have a, a board basically that sits together as a case selection uh, committee. One of the people on there is, is Dr. Peter McCullough. Another really? individual is Dr. Colleen Huber. We have a bunch of just normal people as well, moms, dads, people that work in the government even, in the federal government, in local state governments uh, that, that have former teachers to go and consider uh, applications. People apply for representation. We don't charge clients. We do everything pro bono. And uh, we, we take on these cases that if you're basically being an a-hole in society, if you're poisoning drinking water as some corporation for, for a local town, or if you're uh, trying to change little boys into little girls, we, we want to go after those types of issues because those are societal issues. Those have implications for all of us. My children in, in Arizona are going to have to grow up and live in a world with 6.6 million kids out in California who are being tortured by yeah. their, the people who are being entrusted with protecting their health and safety on a daily basis. Kids being called um, vulgar and disgusting, little girls, by teachers twice their age. Uh, kid, kids literally I, in Saddleback Valley Unified School District. I, I had kids that, that we work with that were stuck outside in a, a bicycle uh, lock area, a, a, a outside enclosed area, fen uh -huh. fenced in area every day for the month of February because they didn't want a mask. These were, these were kids in fifth grade. And they weren't allowed to go and play with their friends outside who were actually playing at recess. They were required to stay in there. They, they got sunburned. Like in a little prison, from, like there was their own little, their own little prison yard, right? Yes, it was the, all the other kids actually could see them eating lunch in there. They, they, called, they started talking about the kids being in jail. That's how disgusting this got across the state. This is in Orange County. This it's is not in San Francisco. Right. And Orange County is traditionally more conservative. And it's just, it's unconscionable to me to think, that, that the way people just how rapidly people threw common decency out the window and started to treat each other in such an inhumane fashion, especially, I mean, it's one thing between adults, but for adults to do that to children, I find especially egregious and really infuriating. And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see that you're, you're taking this on, that somebody's taking this on finally, because it seems like a lot of uh, lawyers have just gone silent as to as to defending or standing up and defending anybody's civil rights or constitutional rights or just basic human rights throughout the course of this whole um, this whole COVID pandemic. And I put that in air quotes. It's just it's awful. Yeah, well, I, I think the, the legal community is, is heavily um, uh, liberal. If I had to classify the, the way that ma the majority of lawyers think, specifically in California, yeah. I, there's a reason that I had to go to California to go do this. And it's because no one else there was willing to do it. And what I mean by, by this is I actually went out. Um, I went in, in Feb January and February and March throughout the state. I traveled, actually. I taught kids to engage in civil disobedience. I, 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 I nice. met with parents. I met with kids. And I actually instructed them on what their rights were under law. And I would sit outside of these schools. I'd actually call the sheriff's departments, the, the police departments in the morning and let them know that we were going to be protesting. And I'd say, look, we're, we're here. We're protesting. Um, these kids are, are going to be uh, asserting their rights and they're going to be uh, preserving their rights to, to file lawsuits in the future. 
I work with another California attorney in early February to put together uh, a really great ultimatum. It's on my website. It actually outlines the, the rights of children. And these kids were handing in these letters, the cease and desist letters signed by themselves so that they could preserve their rights to file lawsuits. And even if it's not with, with me, it could be with anyone. This is a piece of evidence these kids can bring to court to show basically that these teachers were put on notice of their constitutional rights and they chose to discriminate against those kids anyway. Okay. Yeah. Here it is for our, our video viewers. Uh, there's a copy of this up on the screen right now. This is the ultimatum for the school's COVID policies. And so as it reads, and I won't read into the whole thing, but it says regarding my child's lack of a face mask today, please be advised. And then it goes on. So um, this is great. This is a tool. This is what I like to share on this show, uh, tools that people can use and, and to help both educate and inform themselves. But something like this is great. This is a great legal tool that somebody can um, take with them and uh, take with them to school and to assert their children's rights to essentially breathe air. It, it seems mm -hmm. so absurd that we actually have to assert this. But, uh, but this is on the website. Of course, we'll be including a link to the website, which is at thegavelproject.com. And on there, uh, a lot of great resources. Um, you have here also looks like a, a script. And these are all in PDF format, so people can download these. They can print these. Um, and you have a, a script that, that people can use when, when calling into the school and discussing this. Correct. Yeah. And that was put together by uh, actually Tracy Henderson, and she is the president of California Parents United and uh, the, the new California Parents Union, which uh, recently formed. Great. That's uh, no, this is uh, this is some this is some really good stuff. And these are the tools that people have been have just been um, begging for, to be honest with you. Uh, we you know, people like myself have been looking for for things uh, like this. So it's so and I love the logo, by the way. This is the logo for, for our audio listeners. What this is, is uh, it's a gavel, which is um, wrapped with the with the Gadsden flag snake. So this is really cool. The don't, the don't tread on me flag, if you don't know what I'm talking about there. So this is a really cool logo. And now and as one of the ways to raise money, you also um, sell merchandise, correct, on the on the on the website? We do. Yeah. And, and the, the hope is to get as many California and, and really kids across the nation uh, dressed up in this gear when they whenever they want to protest against their their schools unlawful mandates mm -hmm. uh, and, and parents as well, just to show support. Um, my, my wife is, uh, is, is pretty uh, good at this sort of stuff. So she put all this together. I'm, I'm just the, the attorney that is, a, you know, bold enough to go out and teach kids to protest and all that. She's the, the, the mind behind most of the business stuff. So. She's brilliant. Yeah, it, it looks like her. it. These these are some really cool products. You got shirts, you got sweatshirts, coffee mugs, hats with the all with the logo. You got stickers, you know, for your for your laptop and stuff for the kiddos as well. Um, really cool. Uh, I love it. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna pick up uh, one of these myself. Uh, and then people can also here uh, make it just a direct donation if they want. So yes. that's uh, that's also good to uh, to know. That people can support directly, but we, we can get back into that later. Uh, just wanted to bring that up since we were here at the website. So anyway, um, yeah, let's continue. What, uh, what, what, uh, where were we? I'm sorry. Uh, I got a little sidetracked there. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I guess I, I would talk about the lawsuits next. We have a, a number okay. of, of school districts that we're actually uh, targeting across the state of California right now. We have other uh, states we're operating in as well. 
uh, for different issues, but, but it, relevant to your state, we are um, going after Coronado. We're actually planning to, to get things moving with them relatively quickly here in the coming months. Uh, we're going after Capistrano Unified School District. That's where uh, we had a, a student actually invite the, the sheriffs there, the Orange County sheriffs, to, um, to arrest him uh, on multiple days in a row. He actually went to school and said, hey, look, I, I've been suspended for refusing to wear a mask. Uh, if that's the case, because I've been suspended, I'm, I'm, I'm technically trespassing. Uh, right. If I'm trespassing and doing something unlawful, please go ahead and arrest me. Handcuffs aren't necessary. I just will walk out of here with you. And uh, basically, um, they said no. They walked away for three days until we finally were given actually a, a civil trespassing ticket per the request of the schools. So this wasn't any sort of uh, initiation by the Orange County Sheriff's Department, but the principal specifically requested to have the, the individual cited for trespassing. And so right, we're, we're dealing with that now. But uh, okay. you know, this is, it, the sheriffs are aware. And this is one of the things that I, I realized when I was talking to, to most of the police officers across the state that I spoke with got it right away. They deal with Title 42, Section 1983 all the time, the Civil Rights Act, because they're subject to it when they exercise unlawful searches and seizures. If, uh -huh. if a, if a um, police officer kicks your door down without a valid warrant and destroys your home, you can actually sue that police officer for money damages. And so as soon as I was explaining the, this to them on the phone in the mornings, I, one of the things I would do as part of the protests, I would always call ahead of time and let them know, is, is I would explain, hey, you understand this. This is the law. If you violate someone's civil rights, you can be held personally liable for money damages. And, and as soon as I said that, they got it and they didn't want anything to do with it. And so and their, um, their qualified immunity, right? If they break the law and the performance of their duties, they no longer immune from prosecution, right? Or is that both criminal and civil or just civilly? Okay. So qualified immunity is a huge area of law with all these different types of exceptions and all of these different, like very specific um, issues that, that get qualified immunity for police officers and um, attorneys. A lot of times prosecutors have like absolute immunity, which is insane. It should not be a thing. Yeah. Um, but it, it, a lot of these issues have been degraded by the courts or added on by the courts over time to grant protections to the state. Again, going back to the fact that all of these uh, judges are, are statistically speaking uh, formerly working for the state as opposed to private individuals representing the interests of citizens primarily, right. um, they tend to side more or they tend to, uh, I think, just naturally as a product of in-group bias, agree more with the people they identify with. And that would be the state uh, attorneys. Yeah. And so it, it's all tied in. But um, yeah. Yeah. That's that's sad now. But uh, back to talking to these these sheriffs who are, are increasingly aware of this. I mean, you're saying that they they deal with Title 42 already. But what I was finding is throughout this um, throughout the incident incidents that or, you know, throughout the last couple of years uh, during the incidents that I uh, encountered law enforcement when a store owner would call uh, the police or the local sheriff and try to have me charged with trespassing. Um, initially, it, it, it started to be an issue until we started to understand the law and actually how it, 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 it worked with regard to trespassing. For example, if, if I enter a business with the intent to conduct commerce and not to disrupt the business, I'm not trespassing. It's a place mm -hmm. of public accommodation. I, as the public, am allowed to enter the business, and I cannot pre prevent it from doing so uh, or discriminate it against in the process of trying to do so. 
So, um, the, the as we myself and other people who were having this issue began to learn more about our rights uh, with regard to that, we started to educate law enforcement about that as well. And by the time, you know, let's say, you know, year number two rolled around, uh, we weren't having that issue with, with the cops. The cops would just say, look, they'd say to the store owner, look, I, I cannot arrest this person. I can't, I cannot charge them with trespassing. They're not trespassing. Um, I can ask them to leave. And that's all, that's all we can really do. You can refuse to serve them if you choose, but that is your choice. Um, and that's a, that's a whole different issue, but, um, but the, the police would, uh, yeah, they, they would not arrest us for trespassing or charges with trespassing. That's not to say that some didn't lie and try to, um, you know, scare us into, um, there was one instance in, in particular where they actually put some friends of mine in, in handcuffs, put them in the back of the police car, drove them to the police station, uh, ran them through the booking process and released them and never charged them with anything. Hmm. So all they did was just get them uh, off the property and out of the store at the time. Um, and and that, that's kind of concerning to me to think that these police can then essentially also violate your rights um, under color of law. And uh, they accomplished the goal of getting you off the property. But in the process, they, they broke the law in doing so. And so uh, we've had people looking into perhaps suing that city is this in this case was the city of Burbank and the city of Burbank police department for, for doing that. What, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, are they breaking the law when they do something like that? Well, they're, they're certainly violating your civil rights by, by not uh, charging you by, by basically removing you from the property uh, without just cause. You, you, if you were willing to just walk out of the property without any, any issue, I don't see why they would even have even put them in the back of the police car. Mm-hmm. Um, was, was that the, what was happening there? Were they refusing to leave or were they? Yeah. It, yeah. It came down to, um, refusing to leave. Cause it was our understanding that, that once you leave the property and then try to walk back in, then it's considered trespassing. But, but while you're on the property, you, you're not trespassing. So perhaps, uh, our interpretation of that was incorrect, but I, I, I don't, all we wanted to do, we were sitting in line waiting to, <laughs> to be, to go through the, you know, to the, the cashier. Yeah. And they wouldn't, they, they closed the cashier. They refused to serve you. Yeah. It's just, it's wild. It's again, I've never seen anything like this. I mean, the, the closest thing I can, I can think, and, and I don't want to, to diminish the, the history or the memory of the people that suffered um, during the, you know, the civil rights movement in the, in the sixties and people before that who suffered discrimination and especially in the South who they would not serve them because of the color of their skin, or they couldn't use a a bathroom or, or drink out of a water fountain. You know, I I don't want to diminish that in any way possible. That's the closest thing that I can think of, um, that we've experienced in modern times with regard to the treatment of, of a certain class of people, you know, treating them uh, as a second-class citizen or, or less than um, the, the, the average person. It's just, I'm, I can't believe that this happening in, in this day and age in our country. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm all for freedom of contract. I'm all for actually uh, in a lot of ways, people being able to discriminate in their businesses based on what they want to, uh, that, that would be the, the ultimate freedom as, as a business to just say, Hey, look, I don't like this person for whatever reason. And I don't want to, to serve that person. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it's morally right for people to do that. Right. I, I think that, that it's morally wrong, but I don't believe that, that individuals should be forced to serve people that they, they don't want to. Well, that, but as that, for the, the issue, what comes with really the, the red flag for me, and I think that you, you highlighted it very beautifully with uh, the, the, the Canadian uh, reference you, you mentioned earlier where, where they were. Uh, it may not have been this, this podcast, but perhaps the, the one before I was listening to earlier uh, in the news section, you mentioned Canada. Uh, it, not only removing the the firearms from individuals, but seizing personal property. Was that your podcast or am I mixing yes. you up with someone else? Yes, yeah. no, that's that's correct. Yeah, they said uh, uh, ownership of personal property is an absolute in Canada. Yeah, <laughs> I just, it, unbelievable. Sorry. Yeah, but that's that's where we're going because your body. A lot of people don't realize your body is actually a, a piece of property. You you under law have a right to be free to be sold this is the u.s constitution as chattel property because your body is property all right so by by forcing people to be vaccinated the government in a lot of ways now i know this is a bit of a tangent but is really depriving you of a property interest and Mm -hmm. um uh, but by forcing you to mask they 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 are 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 encumbering your property your right to be free of of something forced upon you it's like forcing someone to put up a yard sign in in a lot of ways and uh you as an individual shouldn't be required by the state to to say anything that you disagree with they're they're really um in effect trying to compel political orthodoxy that's what this is all about and it it, the supreme court said in, in a case um called west virginia v barnett back in i think this was the 70s this maybe 60s if my decades are kind of getting off here. Um, but it was the forced Pledge of Allegiance case. Basically, they decided that you can't force children to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance because the flag itself has connotations to people looking at the, the action. If you look at someone who, who is being forced to, to put their hand over their heart, stand up and say this pledge, you are understanding them to accept the underlying meaning of the things they are, are pledging to, meaning the flag, right. uh, American patriotism. Um, the, the, the love of country, the, all of these certain ideals that you have as a reasonable person looking at that flag. And, and here, in a lot of ways, they're, they're trying to compel you to accept all of these underlying factors as far as the vaccine safety, its efficacy, um, whether it's actually the one-size-fits-all solution. And just for simply disagreeing about that, or say, let's say the masks in a very similar way, you are disagreeing with what's being forced upon you as an, a, a deep matter of a personal orthodoxy. And hmm. you, that's actually unconstitutional. The Supreme Court in Barnett expressly rejected that. It, they actually said that, that forcing unanimity on issues of deep personal choice leads to unanimity of the graveyard. Oh, wow. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty heavy, actually. Um, and, you know, the, you, you brought up a couple of things there, but the one that, that struck me was something that I, I've been personally dealing with recently uh, with regard to, uh, you know, the, the being considered property of the government. And I, I had a guest on the show to discuss this. I've actually had a couple of different guests to discuss this topic. 
But what what uh, from my understanding and from from what they're saying is that the 14th Amendment, while on its surface looks as if it was written in such a way as to abolish slavery along with the 13th Amendment and to make people citizens uh, and those who were formerly slaves, make them citizens of the United States. But what what these folks contend and what kind of makes sense when you talk about it in the way you have is that it also enslaved people to become property of the United States government, whereas um, as a citizen, you don't have constitutional rights. You have civil rights, and those rights are subject to um, uh, interpretation by the government. Uh, that is why they can incarcerate you. That is why they can they can hold you, um, you know, in in jail or in prison or wherever because they actually have control over your body. Now I know this is kind of a very I don't it's know nuance. Yeah, yeah, it is, but. But you kind of touched on that a little bit with your with your what you were saying with how they can they can force you since they own us as chattel, uh, they can force us. And, and I think it was uh, Robert Reich who said that the Constitution um, states that the government has the right to inject you forcibly with a vaccine. And I couldn't disagree more, but it was really concerning considering, you know, that this conservative constitutional scholar is coming out and saying the government has the right to do that. And here you're, you're kind of echoing that same sentiment. Well, I, I would say that the government does not have the, so basically the 13th amendment prohibited, prohibited the sale of a people as chattel property amongst people. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't, I'm not aware of governments owning, whether any state governments or local governments actually owned uh, slaves. I, I'd be, that'd be news to me. Um, but I, I would actually, I, I don't really agree with the, the nuanced distinction there between citizen and and sovereign. Let's let's call it right. Okay. Um, I I because the I mean the the Constitution throughout the Constitution refers to us as citizens and what we were doing as, as free individuals as sovereigns prior to the ratification of the Constitution prior to the formation of the United States is that that we basically agreed our forefathers agreed to to sacrifice certain rights as citizens to to enter into a pact a contract that's what this is with the, with the government and this outlines our rights as citizens and so um that that's really what, what i would say uh, i don't believe that people are are, are sovereigns in in any mm -hmm. way um i believe that we are, are actually citizens as we agreed to in the the basic contract that we have. Mm -hmm. And um, we actually do. I, I think that the, the distinction you're making between uh, someone being forced into a penitentiary, I mean, that's because those individuals violated the rights of others. Right. And, and because of that, the state intervened in the procedural the, the process to actually vindicate those rights on behalf of the victim. Mm -hmm. And so uh, here, I, I you know, there, there's a lot of confusion about civil rights versus constitutional rights. Yeah. You have constitutional rights as a citizen. That's just a, a fact. The, the, you have civil rights as well, and the civil rights are the procedural rights like Title 42, Section 1983, that allow you to enforce. It's the, the mechanism by which you can enforce your constitutional rights. And I think a lot of people get kind of caught up in, in the, these really nuanced arguments and um, frankly, if, if someone works for the or formerly worked for the CIA and they are the leader of a movement like the sovereign citizen movement, maybe that person's mm. full of crap. 
Like maybe they, they work for the CIA. They're the most blood soaked organization in the oh, entire yeah. world. Now a lot of people are trying to follow that person. I, I don't recall the individual's name, but I came across a huge sovereign citizen website recently. And I was like, yeah. this doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah, I've, I've been dabbling in that, you know, in terms of research since about 2000 and 2012, around that time. Um, and I've read some pretty thick books on the whole sovereign citizen movement. And I followed a lot of that and found that to be, I mean, it's all, it's kind of a contradiction in terms. You're either a citizen or you're sovereign or you're, you're not, but you're right. A lot of it that is created by these folks seems to be, um, it see, it sounds like it's a CIA type operation. Um, there, there are different aspects and different levels uh, there's one called a u.s national status which yeah. um, separates someone from being a united states citizen versus a u.s national which uh, the distinction i don't know the, the the distinction is is something that's almost akin to being sovereign but it's not because uh i think someone wised up and realized that uh uh, people who claim to be sovereign citizens uh, have been now added to the terrorist watch list uh, by the U.S. government. And so that's that's a little bit concerning to think that someone who simply wants to be free is now considered a terrorist in the United States. And uh, I, that that I mean, the Department of Justice uh, and the Department of Homeland Security making these pronouncements recently where they were were vilifying parents for um, standing up at these school board meetings and saying that these people are domestic terrorists. That's really concerning to me that, that our government is kind of turning on us. And, and if we don't agree with the official party line and the official party narrative, uh, we're considered enemies of the state. Uh, do you think it's, it's, it's getting worse in that regard? You know, I, I do think it's getting worse in that regard. Uh, I, I think that people who, who merely speak out and disagree are being called all sorts of names. It's being, uh, it's being amplified in a lot of ways by social media. And mm. uh, it, it's something that, that we as individuals can fight back with um, or fight back against only through educating ourselves and only through doing what you're doing, which, which is exploring and actually trying to, to um, you know, read books and, and look into the, the claims that others are making and testing their validity. A lot of people these days, just for whatever reason, I, I believe that it has to do with the, the education system in our country, don't know how to test the claims that other people make. They don't know how to, to logically walk through the process of, of if-then um, sort of analysis. And because of that, because of the, the lack of, of just basic problem solving skills, we, we're in a position now where if you tell people the boogeyman's going to kill them, uh, they are going to do whatever it takes to get away from that. I mean, it was the same thing back uh, in, in the, the height of the, um, the Soviet era. Robert F. Right. Kennedy Jr. talks about having people basically hiding under desks during these bomb drills for, for needless reasons. But is so long as there was a chance of survival, it justified limitless spending. And the same thing happened as, as well with the um, uh, Iraq war. If you think about Operation Iraqi Freedom, this was yeah. a, a, a blatant lie told to the world by the Republican Party to get into a war that ended up killing something like a million people. Right. So that their friends could make a bunch of money. And you know what? The same thing is happening today 
with the COVID-19 vaccine. The only difference is, is that all the bodies are here and it's the Democrats, not the Republicans that are pushing the narrative for their friends. You know, I, I think at the upper levels of these political parties, there's there's not really much distinction between Republican and Democrat. I, you know, some people call them elite, other people call them globalists. But I, I think at the end of the day, they're all just traitors and they've all um, used their trust or our trust um, in them to to uh, to serve our interests. Right. I mean, it's supposed to be a representative government, but it seems like they don't represent us anymore. They represent the interests of of themselves or their sponsors or their corporate donors or or, you know, whoever else um, is behind the scenes wielding power, you know, pulling the levers and, and the strings. And so you get things like the 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 Iraq war and the, you know, the fake war on terror. Right. So this is like you said, this is this is another invisible boogeyman that uh, it's it's a never ending war. It's it sounds like it's straight out of 1984. It's like they took they took the book 1984 and said, OK, here's an operation manual for how you screw over a, democ a, a democratic society. Right. How you just destroy it from the inside out. And and they they did. They have been doing that. It's all this this fear based control, this fear based mind control. And they use it as a means by by which to write to control, but also to to just just suck large amounts of money out of the population who is who's deathly afraid of whatever it is that uh, they're selling that particular day. Right. In this case now, COVID-19. Exactly. And, and you know what? It, it's coming at the expense, again, of, of people like myself who, who are trying to just rise up by our bootstraps to be successful in society. Uh, before I, I left my, my job, um, I, I was basically timeline to, to kind of flash back for everyone. I was in law school in 2020. I was actually uh, my, in my third year of law school. I was in uh, D.C. in January of 2020 taking a class on constitutional interpretation that was being taught by Justice Alito. He was my professor. And nice. so right after that, we went back to our, our school in Virginia Beach for a few months. COVID happened during spring break. I graduated, took the bar, ended up getting a job, actually recruited by a, a really great California firm to go and take over an office in Arizona. Uh, and I was doing that, that wonderful job. But I started realizing at some point, like, what's the why would I keep saving and why would I even try uh, to, to build up this wonderful life for my kids if they're not going to be free to enjoy it? What's the point? And so I decided to basically um, put everything on the line. My wife was seven months pregnant when I left my, my role. Uh, we have two kids uh, now, two beautiful little girls that, that we're responsible for supporting. And, you know, we've given everything that we have for this, basically for this 501c3 that we run. Uh, we've liquidated a vehicle. Uh, we have one, we've had one car for seven months now. Uh, we've uh, emptied savings accounts. We've emptied uh, checking accounts. We've taken on debt, actually, to, to finance this thing. And uh, we, we need support. So if anyone out there wants to see these issues actually taken on, I'm, I'm one attorney. I, I can only do so much. Uh, yeah. But I was class president. I'm not saying all of this to be self-aggrandizing. I, I am a leader. I know how to actually bring people out. I have two, two attorneys in California right now. If there's someone out there with the capacity to, to help fund this thing so that I'm not just um, going around and, and basically crowdsource funding this all on my own, which is what I've been doing so far. Yeah. Uh, a, a big donation could help solve a lot of these problems. We have the capacity to take on these issues. Uh, two attorneys right now in California from my school. One of them was editor, uh, executive editor of Law Review, top 10 student. I, I'd be happy to bring her over and, and, and have her work for me. There, there are other ones as well uh, across the nation that we could bring on to take on these issues. 
Uh, and really, we just need the resources to go after all of these people because they are violating the, the law. They are acting like mobsters in many ways. I mean, if you look at that Cal Matters report that I referenced, literally the San Diego Unified School District gave out a, a no-bid $52 million contract to some you know, new organization out of Orange County that has a P.O. box and you can't get a hold of the people now. Yeah. There was a, another contract, I believe, up in Santa Barbara. There was an, another no-bid $12 million contract that went to a former CIA agent. If you look into the, the COVID spending at the local level, you realize that over the course of the last really two and a half, three years, um, you had three rounds of stimulus money that went out from the federal government to the state governments. And that money... It tri trickled down to the school district level. They were they handed out three rounds of tens of millions of dollars in a lot of cases to these school districts, and these these trustees have a lot of power when it comes to contracting. And this Cal Matters report shows that the majority of the funds have yet to be spent. They basically spent all of this money on Chromebooks. They spent all of this money on unrelated things that really were just unnecessary. Yeah. Um, and it, what I think is going to be most beneficial is getting into the nonprofit organizations that are affiliated with the school districts across the state. I believe that, that getting into these as we move forward with these cases that we're going to be litigating yeah. are going to reveal a, a huge number of conflicts of interests. Sure. And uh, it, it's going to be an opportunity for us to bring some very unique types of lawsuits to, to solve these problems, including on racketeering charges, which I think is the solution to a lot of the problems here. I was just going to say, yeah, fraud, racketeering, uh, money laundering, essentially what these, what these folks are. I mean, yeah, it's a criminal enterprise and, and they're um, I guess you could add money laundering into that, but it, it, I'm hoping that there are, are, uh, you know, public litigators, you know, district attorneys or city attorneys or, or attorneys general who would be willing to step up and charge these people with these crimes. I'm just, I've, I've just lost a lot of faith in our, our public officials ability to carry out their elected duties. I mean, look at who we got here in LA as our, our district attorney, George Gascon. I mean, he's letting, <laughs> yeah, he's letting guys run, run around, you know, killing cops. And it's, it's uh, so, but I think the tide is turning. I mean, they, they just got rid of uh, Chesa Boudin up in mm -hmm. San Francisco. So the people are starting to, to wise up to it. So perhaps this could be an excellent timing of, you know, your, your civil litigation that could result in criminal charges being brought against these people. And hopefully we can clear up this corruption because somebody's got to do something. It's, it's, it's imploding our country. I mean, all of this money that they've been they've been giving away, where does it come from? Well, it ultimately comes from you and me and all of us, anybody listening to this show, all the taxpayers. Um, but as they continue to print it out of thin air, it devalues it. It devalues that money. And therefore uh, we have a rise in inflation. So, so again, here we have, like we said, this invisible boogeyman of, of COVID-19, anybody can have it. Even if you're, if you, if you don't have symptoms, you can still get somebody sick, which is a complete lie. It's a scientific and medical fact. Uh, that that's a lie. Um, so we got to throw a bunch of money at it. And in the process, uh, we're going to divert that to our friends and to our colleagues and our cronies and, and fill up everybody's pockets at the expense of the taxpayer. It's just what, what a mess, what a mess, but I'm so glad that, that you've got, 
the, the courage to put everything on the line. I mean, not a lot of people would do what you're doing uh, that to, to, to take that kind of risk um, financially speaking. Yeah. You know, you've got the courage and, and, you know, the, you're doing the, the noble thing. Um, and, and I think by leading in that fashion, because that's what we need. We, we need more leaders, people like yourself to, to kind of lead that charge and to show people how it's done and, and to inspire people to, uh, to take action in their, in their own communities, in their own states. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping in some form or way that we're able to help you do that. And I'm hoping that we can bring more attention through this podcast to your, um, to your cause and to help people, uh, to bring people to that in many different ways, whether that's uh, in funding uh, or in coming in with material support or coming on board as, as an attorney and, and helping you ex- to expand into other states. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I just kind of wanted to take this opportunity to thank you for, for doing that, for taking on all of this, this, this risk really, and, and putting it all on the line. I mean, that it really is, uh, it's a noble undertaking and there are very few men out there like you these days. So I, I do want to thank you very much for that. Thank you, Nick. Yeah. And, and you know what, the, the person who deserves the most thanks and all of this is my wife. Um, she's the one that, that really took the risk to, to say, yeah, okay, honey, you can leave your great job and go and, and take on perhaps the biggest challenge uh, that, that we could ever conjure up. And uh, she's the one that has been, you know, I've missed our, our anniversary. I missed her 30th birthday. I missed all sorts of really important um, developmental things with my, my kids because I'm just not, I haven't been there because I've been working, you know, 14 hour days on these, these issues a lot of times. And even when I'm home, I'm not home because of that. So it's, it's, uh, it's great to have someone who really gets behind me and and supports the the vision and understands, you know, not only that uh, I I can do this, but that uh, it's necessary and someone has to, and I'm grateful to be the person, uh, you know, making the sacrifices and, and actually fighting for the kids. It's very gratifying, but it's also scary. And, and it would be uh, very wonderful to have some uh, tax deductible donations coming in. I appreciate that, Nick, for the plug there. Uh, people, if anyone is interested, they, they can go to our website, thegavelproject.com. Uh, that's thegavelproject.com. They can give a, a tax deductible donation there. We are a 501c3 public charity. Uh, we are also setting up uh, our, our Bitcoin wallet there. Uh, my wife will be getting that up sometime, uh, I believe, tomorrow. She was supposed to do it today, but uh, a little little busy with the kiddos. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we're, we're, we'll be taking uh, as many, really, donations as we can. If there are attorneys out there that want to work with us, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, if you're a, a media person and you want to interview me or if you want to have me on your show, I'd love to come speak with you. Uh, please feel free to contact me. There's a, a page on our website. and Applications as well, if you've been vaccine injured, um, we, we'd love to take on those cases. We were just waiting for the funds to come in to be able to do that. We already have hired an attorney to start working on that issue. Uh, we just won't be able to file until we have the, the necessary funding. Okay. Well, um, that's, uh, that's good to know. Of course, this link will be included in the show notes section of our video here, along with links to your social media sites Thank and, you. Um, I've, I've included, I believe, uh, yeah, the LinkedIn, the, the Instagram, as well as the Twitter uh, links as well. So those are other ways that, that people can get in touch with you. Uh, so before we let you go, did you have any kind of closing thoughts or other things that you wanted to share with our, our viewers and listeners? 
You know, um, uh, let me take a second to step away from my role as uh, president of the Gavel Project and, and really disassociate myself from that organization and go ahead and, and just say that I believe that, that people um, in, in California and across the nation uh, need to take a serious look at the Libertarian Party when it comes to the presidential election for 2024. Dave Smith, um, recently, if you haven't heard, he's a comedian, um, but he, he's been on Joe Rogan before. And I, I would encourage everyone to go watch his interview with Joe Rogan uh, about his, uh, his presidential platform. Uh, he is, I believe, the solution to our problems because he doesn't lie and because he doesn't care what people think about what he says, which I believe in a lot of respects is what we need uh, at the... Um, the, the federal level. And uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to him and say that, that he has my support and uh, I'll be plugging away in my personal capacity for the Libertarian Party as hard as I can uh, moving forward, because I believe it is the third party solution is how yeah. we have to go. I agree. You know, and, and the Libertarian Party just didn't show up. I mean, they've been around for quite a while now, and I think they've been doing increasingly well in every election cycle. And and I think now uh, more than ever, Right. Uh, that people are starting to lose faith in even the Republican Party. You look at the Republican Party leadership and they're, they're no different than the Democrats. And in terms of uh, some of the things they vote on, like we we're talking about gun control. So, uh, yeah. So I think now more than ever is important that people take a look at the Libertarian Party, especially if you're conservative um, as an alternative. But even people who tend toward the left, uh, you know, and the, the the more liberal end of the spectrum, can agree with, I believe, a lot of the libertarian principles, because that's what true liberalism is rooted in, is, is our libertarian principles. And so uh, I would encourage anybody, whether you are on the left or the right, to look into the libertarian party and libertarian candidates. Absolutely. So uh, good to know his name again was Dave Smith. And you can find him what on, on you said, uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah, he was he was on Joe Rogan, uh, I believe, probably seven months ago. Uh, but he, he has his own podcast called Part of the Problem. And uh, one of the things that he does really well is he provides a, a great synthesis of a history of the 21st century. Uh, he actually had a podcast, I'd say, probably three months ago on that, that issue. And he does a really great job of framing how we got to where we are today from the dot-com bubble to the present. And, and I believe that it, it explains, his analysis explains very well uh, why it is that we have this huge divide. A lot of it has to do with just economic turmoil, um, but a lot of it has to do uh, with basically mind control through uh, the government too. And, and, and the media. Uh, people being shocked and scared into uh, making irrational choices, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It, it, that ha it has turned into this this integrated machine between the government and the mainstream media as kind of the fifth column of the government uh, yeah. that, that they, they, they use as a mouthpiece to push these agenda items and they hype up these stories and and they use them to manipulate public opinion in one way or another, especially you look at this most recent incident in Uvalde, Texas, uh, how they they really push that uh, very because, you know, it's, it's tragic when you're talking about, you know, children and, and you're talking about uh, some maniac with a gun. You know, what what better way to scare people into doing what you want them to do than to really push that? And so, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I think, an, uh, you know, one of those exa excellent examples of that sort of thing uh, taking place, looking to erode away our rights by highlighting one in instance or one incident out of, 
you know, how many hundreds of millions of Americans with guns. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, that's a that's a very good point. Well, it's, um, it's a sad that's a sad thing, and and um, I could yeah. talk for hours about Uvalde. Maybe we should should do that another time. Um, there, yeah. There's so much there on that issue, and in California and specifically about the uh, legislation. Really quickly, everyone that's worried about SB 866, please take a moment to pick up your phone and call your senator about SB 1273. They're trying to remove the requirement in California for for teachers to have to report violent incidents on campus. So if, if there's a, a, a student assaults another student unprovoked, right. these teachers are being encouraged to not call the police based on the, the individual's likelihood to be a recidivist. Meaning that if the individual happens to have a particular skin color or happens to, to be, uh, let's say, uh, part of the LGBTQ community and the, the uh, person who's being assaulted, the victim, happens to be a little white girl, well, they may not report that to the police. And they're already encouraging children not to tell their parents things when they, they go home. Right. Don't tell them that you've changed your gender to, to boy. Don't tell them that your name is now Joe. Right. So and, yeah, parents are still locked off campus. You can't get on because of the emergency. So what, what, who's going to protect your kids right. on campus if that passes? Right. It's scary. It seems like all of these policies that are pushed by Democrats ultimately result in the very thing that they're trying to legislate against. Right. So uh, you know, th this is just a prime example. Well, let's protect, you know, these, these, um, these minority classes and, and not, not report them to law enforcement, uh, because they're unfairly targeted because of the color of their skin or because of their, uh, orientation. And yet ultimately it allows them to continue with that act activity and victimize other people. Uh, and so, so who does it end up really serving? It ends up to create more, more crime, more ultimately more criminals, uh, like like the policies of of uh, George Gascon here in Los Angeles. Same sort of thing. Go soft on criminals, you get more crime, and ultimately people pay the price, and sometimes with their lives. So I, I don't know what it's going to take for people to wake up to realize that that uh, Democrat policies are they sound always they sound good on the surface but they're 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 it's one step thinking there's no two step three step four steps down the road to consider the impact that the policy might have and you can see this in and we could go on for another hour with this i'm sure but um i'll put up um specific links to those legislations uh, those pieces of proposed legislation as well because i know what you're talking about and uh, and I did read that the other day that, yeah, that I mean, that would just make it even more dangerous on our school campuses and less secure. It seems like they're trying to make it less secure. They're trying to put our kids in more danger. It's just it's absurd. It is. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ryan, for joining us today. I know you are a very busy man. So uh, and for, so for taking the time to to sit here on the podcast and share with us. Uh, your your experience and what you're doing out there. I want to thank you for doing that. But again, also thank you just for the work that you're doing in our community to help make, uh, to help stand up for the rights of these children where no one else is doing that. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Nick, and I, I appreciate it. And I look forward to meeting you in person next time I'm out there. Yeah, for sure. Let's do that. Let's definitely get together. I'd love to, I'd love to meet you in person and, uh, and maybe have a uh, grab a bite to eat. Sounds great. All right, Ryan, take care. Talk to you soon. All right. Sounds great. Thank you. Take care. All right, bye. 
Well, there you go, folks. Uh, there goes a noble man. I'm telling you what, they don't make people like that much anymore, you know, and it's such an honor and a, and a pleasure to have someone like that on the show and to share, be able to share with you his experience and what he's doing. And of course, um, give you the opportunity to take action because that's what we're all about here at the Free America Podcast. It's not just talking about the issues, but giving you the tools that you need to make an impact, to, to fight back, to do something about what is being done against you here in our United States and around the world. So hopefully um, uh, Ryan and Mr. Heath is, a, is an inspiration to others, not only here in the United States, but in some of the other countries uh, where we have viewers and listeners, of course, across Europe and Australia, Japan, South America, Canada, you name it. Uh, we're, um, we're worldwide. And so hopefully we are an inspiration to other people in other countries. And we're kind of that beacon of freedom like America has been for so long. And I, I hope to preserve that and to share that and to share that spirit of, of freedom and individualism and, and, and entrepreneurship and everything that goes along with, with being an American. Um, that's what, what Free America is all about. So I want to thank you all for tuning into the show once again. And remind you if, you, uh, if you'd like to help out the Gavel Project, you can go to thegavelproject.com. Um, there's the website right there, the Swinging Gavel. Uh, all their information is there, how you can support them, who you can contact, and who is behind it. You can get the, the gear, you can get all kinds of great stuff. And like I mentioned, the tools, the, the scripts, um, and the cease and desist letters, and other things that you need to fight back. And of course, also, if you like the Free America podcast, consider supporting us by going to covidsmostwanted.com and picking up a deck of COVID's Most Wanted cards. Uh, they're $24.95, but if you use the promo code podcast at checkout you'll get out of there for about 20 bucks and that comes with of course free shipping anywhere in the united states it is a little bit more for us to ship overseas i'm sorry it is actually quite expensive and we do eat about 25 percent of that on our end so i do try to give you a discount on the international shipping but please do consider getting them uh, not just to support the free america podcast but to use them as a tool to educate your friends and family about these maniacs behind the COVID-19 scamdemic. All right, that's all for us today, folks. Again, want to thank you for tuning into the Free America podcast. And remember, it's up to you to stay free, America. You got to fight for that freedom night and day. This war isn't over by any stretch of the imagination. So stay free, everybody. Good night.